Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Pastor Jeff Stewart. The Beatles. How many of you remember the Beatles? I'll tell you, there has been a revolution. There's been a change because I looked around and I saw people with gray hair mouthing the words to those songs. <laughs> Made me realize a lot has changed. That's what John Lennon was singing about. We want to change the world. A lot happened in 1968 when that was written. But it still happens today about revolutionary, about changing things, turning things. Here's a guy with long hair and a beard wanting to change things. Uh, we're going to talk about another guy with long hair and a beard that wants to change things because we're searching for Jesus. We're searching for Jesus. Think about revolution. It's, it's something that is always happening in uh, history. People just aren't satisfied with the status quo. That's what really revolution is. It's a, it's a change. It's a turning. Turning of the tables. You've heard that term, turning the tables, bringing about change. Now, the Beatles, they brought about change probably not the way they really wanted to, but they were revolutionary music. Um, everything that the Beatles did, our generation, I'd say for the most part, I look out and say the majority of you folks are of that generation, but the, even the generation that followed, my kids like the Beatles. And, and there's kind of a resurgence now of the Beatles. But our music here is based on that kind of that revolution of, of change of music, music styles. Churches would use organs and stuff, but now we've got bass, guitar, and drums, stuff like that. It, it's a change. There was a status quo and a change. It'll continue to change. The tables will be turned. Now, um, we have, uh, I don't think I'll see her here, but uh, Kima Small saw the Beatles at the Cow Palace in San Francisco. I don't know how you know that the last public concert the Beatles ever had, you know where it was? It's in Candlestick Park. That's how old that park is. <laughs> think about that. The last public concert they ever had in their history was held in Candlestick Park. But they, things change in this world. And the, some people by design want to bring about the change. Now the problem is we have our own idea of what the environment should be like, don't we? So we want to bring about change. We don't like the status quo. There's a difference though between revolution and rebelliousness. And I, I have to admit to you, I think some of you know this, that I kind of kind of lean toward the latter, the rebelliousness. You know, there's a status quo, and I just, you know, I want to disrupt that status quo. I just, just, just for the sake of disrupting that status quo. There's that, there's that nature in me that wants to do that. There's a difference between that, because that's individualistic. I mean, everything, everything's all right with me, and if it's, if it's gray, you know, if it's black, I'll say, why? You know, just for the sake of changing it and disrupting it. There's a difference between rebelliousness and revolutionary. Now, it may, they may look alike, but there is a difference. Now, rebelliousness is more, more self-centered, and it usually uh, is something that takes place when we're raising our kids because we have a certain status quo for them. I think I've shared this with you before, but I, I was involved with uh, musical theaters growing up and stuff, and I was in a musical once called The Fantastics. Anyone ever heard of The Fantastics? It's kind of a PG-13 uh, uh, musical, but I played one of the fathers in there. I played Huckleby. There was, uh, uh, parents were sort of like the uh, uh, modern version of Romeo and Juliet. The couples were together, and they were trying to figure out how to, they didn't like the way their kids were acting. So they talked about the rebelliousness. And the other father's name was Bellamy. And there was a song that the Huckleby and Bellamy sing. And I'm, I'm going to sing it here for you. I hope I can still do this. It's going to sound like George Burns or, or Groucho Marx. But it goes, it's about rebelliousness. It goes something like this. Dogs got to bark. A mule's got to bray. Soldiers must fight. And preachers must pray. And children, I guess, must get their own way. 
the minute that you say no. Why did the kids pour jam on the cat, raspberry jam all over the cat? Why would the kids do something like that? They did it because we said no. My son was once afraid to swim. The water made him wince until I said he couldn't swim. It's been swimming ever since. <laughs> Your daughter brings a young man and says, do you like him, Pa? Just tell her he's a fool and then you've got a son-in-law. <laughs> Make sure you never say no. Because kids are rebellious. People are rebellious sometimes just by the nature of changing status quo. But revolution is a little bit different than that. They may look alike, but sometimes things need to be understood that revolution challenges the status quo and for a good purpose, usually by principle. There's all kinds of revolutions that have taken place in history. The American Revolution, we benefited from that. There's Russian Revolution, Cuban Revolution, all kinds of revolution have taken place. There was even, I looked on, on Google searching revolutions. This one kind of surprised me and made me laugh a little bit. And I hope I don't offend you if you're of that descent. But I saw there was a Swedish revolution. And I looked it up. It seems like that they were trying to look for independence from Denmark. And in my mind, I just don't see any revolution necessary between Denmark and Sweden and Norway and all. They all seem, they're up there in the cold North Atlantic. But there was a Swedish revolution. And they were able to, to break from the bonds of Denmark. Revolution. Turning the tables is significant change. That is something we see in our search for Jesus. Jesus turns the tables. That was his ministry was about. And we're going to look at a few passages today where he does it by teaching, but he also does it literally. He turns the tables, and there's a purpose in that. He is challenging the status quo, and we need to hear that status quo because sometimes we're a part of that. And there's a good reason that God wants his purpose to shine through some of the things that we need to have dispelled in our own lives. Jesus turns the tables. What I want you to do is we're going to look through the Bible today. And if you have a brown, if you have your own Bible or you can grab one of those brown Bibles, I want to look at some stories. As we're searching for Jesus, we see that he turns the tables and we're going to see significant change as a major theme in what Jesus has to teach and has to say. First of all, we look at Matthew 12, 1 through 4. That's on page 966 and 967 of that brown Bible. Listen as I read. I'll try to bring the story back to life so that we can see the changes that take place. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain to eat them. That's a natural thing to do. The problem is it was a certain day of the week. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful. On the Sabbath. And Jesus is trying to teach them something. Because he knows why the Sabbath was made. He answered, haven't you read? This is a key question that he asked. Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the temple, the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do. But only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? Technically, they're desecrating it. They're breaking the law, but they're innocent. I tell you, one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. It means the ritualistic act of just doing it for the sake of doing it. Mercy, not sacrifice, you would, have not, you, had, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man 
is Lord of the Sabbath. Now listen, remember what he says. Haven't you read? Haven't you read? Haven't you read? That's what they do all the time. They read the law, and that's what they do is they try to understand what it means, and they convey that to the people with authority, and they overdo the authority thing. They also write it down. They're looking at it. They didn't have copiers back then. They didn't have printing press. They didn't have MS Word. They were writing it down so the other copies could continue to go on. So they're looking at it all the time. And Jesus is saying, there's a purpose for what those things mean. And they're looking at the form aspect of it, not the functional aspect of it. I'll be referring a lot to that, and that's one of my mantras here. The form aspect is just how it is. The function is the purpose behind it, the spirit of it. And so he's trying to make a distinction to them about what they're reading all the time. So technically he's saying, you've read this. They were hungry. They ate. But it was not lawful by form. But that was the purpose of what God's law means. Try to see what's beneath what God writes. We continue. Verse 11. He said to them, if any one of you has a sheep. I'm sorry. Verse 9. Going on from that place. He went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep, and it falls into a pit, on the Sabbath, it just happens to be a Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Will you not exert some energy to pick up 100 and 150 pounds to lift it out? Wouldn't you do something functional for the sake of saving it? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound of the, as the others. And the Pharisees accepted that and said, very good lesson, teacher. We now understand what you mean by putting function over form. We won't bother you anymore. Thank you very much. Have a good day. I didn't read that right, did I? But the Pharisees, not wanting to change their status quo attitudes, went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Unlawful versus hungry. Form versus function. The disciples were hungry. They were picking the grain. It was not lawful for them to do because when they're picking it, technically they're, they're reaping a harvest, like they're going out on a work day. Technically, They're threshing it like you're not supposed to. Technically, they're eating it, grinding it. So they're breaking the law. And Jesus said, no, no, they're hungry. Do you understand what is written? Turning the tables. He turns the tables on them. I don't know how many of you pick up your outline today, but did you think that something was wrong with it when you first saw it? Did you? Come on, raise your hand. Something's wrong with this. How many of you thought something's okay with it? I dare you to raise your hand. Uh, yeah, you knew it was me. <laughs> what are we used to when we have an outline or something? We turn it this way, don't we? That's a form. That's what we're used to. That's the status quo. It's not written here anywhere that we're supposed to do that. It isn't. There's nothing in the law that says you must go from left to right to turn the outline over. It's not there. As a matter of fact, I think it's probably more functional with our computer age to have it scrolled, to turn it that way. Just an illustration. We look at it and we go, hmm, something's wrong. This is not right. What's it based on? It's just based on a notion. 
It's just based on a certain status quo of the way we do things. It's a form that we use. And we don't catch ourselves. It's a form that we use. And we need to realize that we have a certain way of thinking, and God wants to turn the tables on us often, often. Now, I may get in trouble with the worship team for this. I didn't last service, so I guess I'm all right so far. But there's kind of a form here that takes place in our worship. You know, we got the chairs lined up a certain way, and there are two interpretations of that I've seen from, day, from week to week. And, and there, there are these lights and stuff. And every once in a while, if I stray too far out of these lights, I sometimes get directions from the booth back here, go back to the light. <laughs> but I'm functioning over here. No, we want to be able to see your big melon. I don't want you to see my big melon. I just want you to hear this stuff. So I'm a little rebellious about that. I'm just going to go over here and finish the rest of this here. How's that? That's what we do. We have to catch ourselves with that. There's something about turning the tables in our lives that Jesus has to say. There's another passage I want us to look at that continues this search for Jesus. It's in uh, Matthew 21. Verses, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I skipped one. Um, Here's my form of my notes here. Matthew 18, 1 through 5. And that's on page 974 and 975. This is the disciples. We're off the hook because it's not the Pharisees. These are followers. We can identify with them. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, why did they want to know that? Well, if you have your Bibles, you can look back and see that they had a discussion amongst themselves about who was the greatest among them. So that's what they want to know. He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he surprised him. He said, I tell you the truth, unless you, and what's the word there? Change. Unless you change, I'm going to talk about that word in a few seconds, and become like little children, not just children, little children. And they're involved with the last incident that we're going to read. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And continuing to turn the tables, he says, and whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. Unless you change, unless you have a revolution, unless you're upended and the tables are turned, that word comes from the Greek word strepho. And the strepho means turn. It means turn. It means taking something that is like this and doing this with it. That's what the word means. Unless you turn and become like little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you humble yourself like one of these, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. We're going to see a form of that word in, in the next passage. And I'd like for you to turn to that. Matthew 21, verses 10 through 16. This is one of the most misunderstood passages in the Bible regarding the life and the teaching of Jesus. There's a lot of controversy and there's a lot of criticism about what took place in Matthew 21, 10 through 16, on page 978. Jesus entered Jerusalem. The whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet 
from Nazareth in Galilee. It's like anything we do. There's a crowd. There's something that changes their day. They're going about the market or whatever, and all of a sudden they see a crowd following. This guy is on a donkey, and they're putting branches down, Palm Sunday, which we'll celebrate in a few weeks. And, and they're making all kinds of noise. Hosanna! They're going about their business. Well, who is this? I know that yesterday I was on the way to a baseball game, and there was a, a really bad accident on 680. And the people going south were looking at the situation that was blocking up the traffic going north. A lot of people do that. It changes their situation, their day. They have to look. I don't know why it slows down the traffic because you're on your merry way. You don't have to worry about that. But people look. It changes their day. It upends what they're doing. And that's what they're doing. Who is this? And the crowd say, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. And Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He surprised people. They never expected this from him. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. There he goes again with the written thing. They're hearing things that they've seen and read and copied. And he's taking two Prophetic Old Testament passages from Isaiah and Jeremiah. My house will be called a house of prayer. You are making it a den of robbers. They should recognize those passages. He's talking about the function of the law, not the form of it, which is read and known. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But the chief priests and the teachers of the law, when they saw these wonderful things, and heard the children shouting in the temple area. They said, we get it now, Lord. Thank you very much. That's really neat that that happened. We, we understand what you're teaching now. No, they didn't say that, did they? They were indignant. They saw the wonderful things, and they were indignant. They were hung up. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Your point is? My daughter used to do that. Your point is? Jesus kind of does that. Your, your, your point is, yes. You, have you never read? You've seen it written from the lips of children and infants. You have ordained praise. There's turnover. There's change. There's an upending in what he's doing. He goes into the temple and he sees things that are taking place that shouldn't be taking place. It wasn't intended that way. And the word... The word up, uh, turning the tables comes from a combination word that we looked at before. The strefo is turned, and he kata strefo. What the word does that look like in our English? Catastrophe. That's where we get the word catastrophe. He overturned the tables. He catastrophied the tables. He turned them upside down. Now, you know what a catastrophe is. We usually think of it as negative, don't we? Why do we think of it as negative? Because it usually involves us. What happened to Katrina? Hurricane comes through, and what does it do? It destroys all the little forms that we've made for ourselves. Some of them are still unoccupied. All these little structures that we've made for us are upended. It's a catastrophe. What took place in 1989 in the Bay Area? An earthquake. It upended the Marina District in, 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 the, in Oakland, the highway. Things that we made, forms that we made, it turned them. And there was a catastrophe. It overturned, turned them upside down, upended. How many of you about 10 days ago felt a little tremor Thursday? I've been here six years. I've never, ever felt 
people keep talking to me. You're in California. Oh, there's no earthquakes out here. But I felt that one. And I was in a very vulnerable place when I felt that one. It was one of the smallest rooms in our house. I won't tell you where it was. I will tell you that, that the process was sped up a little bit, and I was out of that room quickly, more quickly than I normally would have been. What happened? My wife was having a Bible study with women downstairs. My daughter was watching television in the other room. And I already told you where I was. What happened? It changed our world. It upended what we were doing. We stopped what we were doing. Did you feel that? Oh, yeah. Well, what's that? That was a tremor. It stopped. It upended. It catastrophed what we were doing. It overturned our attention. And that's what Jesus intends to do with us. When we're searching for Jesus, this is what we discover. He's revolutionary. He's got something to say. He's got something to teach. And he's got a purpose for this. You know, in that word also is a plowing imagery. You're doing your gardens right now, tilling the soil. I don't know very many people that will just, you know, put the seed in it as it is, dig a hole, put it in there. Don't you want to turn it? You know what plowing does? It puts a blade to the soil and it turns it over. Catastrophe. That's what it does. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's plowing through our lives, turning it over so we can be fertile and receive the things that he wants us to receive. That's catastrophe, catastrophe. Jesus stretches, stresses the function of the temple from what is written and read. It is a house of prayer. And the blind come and they're healed. And the lame come and they're healed. And the children are shouting. And he's okay with that. They're desecrating that temple and the presence. And they're innocent. They are innocent. Verse 15 says, when they saw and heard the wonderful things, they became indignant. All that they saw and heard was based on what God revealed in his truth. It had a purpose. You see, the money changers were that day's version of what we often sometimes do if we think about it. We go, how did we get to this point? You ever caught yourself and asked that? How did we get to this point? What causes us to get to this point where we think a certain way? It's a status quo. It's just things doing for the sake of doing them. And we need to ask ourselves, what do we see? What do we hear? And what do we base them on? I'll give you an example, very relevant to me. Sometimes, and I'll, I'll, I got a personal confession with this. We're here in worship, and sometimes people bring children into our worship setting. I was watching Olivia doing a little dance here this morning, just inspired by her. I want to do my little little dance with her. She's innocent. Olivia's innocent. But there are some times when kids, they can't, they're not listening. She's not listening to me right now. Are you listening to me, Olivia? No, she's not listening. She's drawing right now. They're not interested in what we're doing in here, but they're innocent. But there are times when they're done with their drawing or they're done counting the lights. And I know you folks do that too. You've got a more sophisticated way of doing it. Count the blades of grass outside. There are times where you're done with those things and you want to move on to something else. It's a child with your energy and you start to fidget a little bit. And what happens? Well, it kind of gets contagious. You all kind of look off here a little bit with your peripheral vision. It's kids fidgeting. They're starting to, you got in the back of your mind, take them out of here. Take them out of here. They're desecrating our worship. They're innocent. I confess that I have that. And I don't understand, you know, what, what it is God wants to tell me about upturning, upturning over my mindset. 
and my way of thinking because he has something to say in what he's teaching us. He catastrophes our notions based on the, orig- the horizontal ideas that we put form above function. We have certain ways that we think things need to be. And he often does that in here when we read the words that he offers in his teachings several times. Ken shared a few of them last week. Things like this. If someone forces you to go one mile, what does Jesus say? That's enough? No. Go two. Catastrepho. Plowing. Uh, Love your enemies and pray for those who harass you. You do that on the freeway? Oh, I love you. I pray for you. Uh -uh. We don't do that. That's catastrepho. That's what he's saying today. Not back then. He says other things like, uh, you've heard it's, uh, that you're not supposed to commit murder, but if you call somebody a jerk, you're guilty as equally as guilty. Well, I readily call people jerks, especially if they harass me on the freeway. He caught a struffles. It's purposeful for our lives that God would turn us over. If anyone would follow me, they must take up their cross, deny themselves first. You've heard it said, you know, they've got to deny yourself. Uh, don't resist an evil person. You can't pour new wine into old wineskins. On and on and on. There's change, 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 challenge, challenge, challenge. Up, turning, turning the tables, disrupting our lives for the sake of what his purpose is for us, our own status quo. And before anything of these things happened, he gave us a heads up on this. He gave us an indication of how he would create a topsy-turvy effect on our world. Listen to these words in Matthew 10, 34 and 35. He says this, Do not suppose that I come to bring peace to the earth. Talked about that last month. He says, My peace I give to you, not the peace of the world. This is what he's talking about. It correlates with that. Do not suppose that I come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, a blade. For I have come to turn a man against his father. Not antagonistically, but it happens. A daughter against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. I think that one goes without saying. You you didn't really have to teach that one. But that's what the the imagery of is the plowing, the sword, the turning, the catastrepho. That's what happens. That's what needs to happen in our lives. A turning and upending of our notions so that we can change, so that we can become what God intends us to become. He gave us that indication of those things. And if you'll look in your outline, I want you to write these things down. There's a few areas that we can relate to that God upturns, turns the tables on. The story we read in Matthew 12, he turns the tables on gratification and pride. How many of you can identify with that? I can. Gratification and pride. I've got my own way of doing things, and I want to do them for myself. And I see myself in Matthew 12. Matthew 18, he turns the tables on glory and prestige. Watch American Idol. <laughs> that's just, that's all about. We kind of root for those people. Why do those people get off? And glory and pride, but you know, or glory and prestige, but you know it has a cost as well. Look at the life of Anna Nicole Smith or even presently Britney Spears. Matthew 21 teaches me about greed and piggishness. I need to learn these things. I need to have my tables turned by looking about gratification and pride, glory, prestige, greed, and piggishness. And there's many, many other things in God's Word that He turns the tables on. We need to be challenged. 
We need to pray that God will rip into our souls and turn things inside out so that he can work through us. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and think about these things. Bow your heads and, and please close your eyes. What is your status quo? What needs to be challenged by Jesus in your life? He does that for a purpose, not to be mean or antagonistic, but for an ultimate benefit. Ken shared these words last week, and I repeat them. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. It's not the other way around. What is your status quo? What needs to be turned? What blade needs to be administered to what is inside you? Lord, we pray to you and your power. We don't get it. And we often misunderstand Jesus. We see in your word, you really gave us a few simple guidelines. We call the Ten Commandments. It's really what the law is based on, the spirit of those things. They're pretty simple. You might ask us in conversational ways, could you stop killing each other? Could you please quit taking stuff that doesn't belong to you? You might say it would really be helpful if you didn't lie to each other. You might put in our hearts, don't you think one lifetime companion is enough? In many other areas, Lord. Help us to envision a radically changed world, Lord, where things like honoring parents can really happen. Where there's an environment where people are really honest and upright in their business dealings as your people. To see that it's possible to have a life where we leave our possessions outside and no one would take them. No one is slandered. No one gossips. No one is falsely accused, Lord. This is your radical minimum standard. And we don't live up to it, Lord. We ask that we would see in your word and in the life of Jesus as we search for him a pretty basic map of a healthy society and not a picture of that which is unattainable, but something that you require as a minimum. We thank you, God. We trust you that you have our welfare, our benefit in mind, and that we know because of the way things are that you need to tear into us. So, Lord, we ask that you tear into us, that we be healed and made whole. We know who you are. You're greater than the temple, and you are the Lord of Sabbath and rest. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.